Stephen, I noticed that you are lesser bearded. It's lesser bearded, Stephen. It, I, <laughs> I do have less of a beard than the last time you saw me. Uh, so Sunday was Laura's baby shower. We're mm-hmm. having a baby. And uh, it's coming very soon, in the next uh, few weeks. Um, a blessed event. Yes, indeed. And uh, right up to the moment before I was getting ready for the baby shower, I had this huge beard. Like, like it was, you know, a bird's nest type beard. I was like, okay, dude, you're going to this baby shower. And there's going to be like a million pictures. So I was like, okay, I'm going to trim up this beard. But the problem about shaving your beard is... You can always take off more, but you can never take off less. And in my case, I was in such a hurry that um, I, I started at my desired length, and then I cleared out the cartridge of hair, and then when I hastily put it back on, oh, no. it was on a lower setting, and I was just, mm-hmm. you know, oh my god, I gotta get get to this thing. So I was like, Zhh. and yep. suddenly it looked like I was, you know, shearing a sheep, all of the hair that was coming off. So at that point, I had to just commit. Journos, a stream of consciousness news podcast with Stephen Jackson and Brandon R. Reynolds. I gotta say, I feel like that's not a bad setup for this program today, Brandon. No, indeed. Uh, happy accidents, blessed events. Yeah. New birth. Yeah. New life. And foreskins. Foreskins. <laughs> yeah. I cannot tell a lie, like Abraham Lincoln, Stephen. I can't tell a lie. I have been weirdly obsessed with this idea. Mm-hmm. The idea of something called the Holy Prepus. Prepuce. I'm not even sure how to say it. It's such an archaic and strange word. The Holy Prepus. Yeah, I want to hear all about it. So today we're going to be talking about this Holy Prepus, but we're also going to talk about some strange medical treatments, some strange dermatological treatments, uh, and and even more. So with that, Brandon, tell me about the holy penis. Well, I don't want to bite off more than I can chew on this. It's oh. not the whole penis. It's merely okay. the foreskin. The prepus? The prepus. Uh, yeah, so you know how in religions <laughs> they last a long time. And like any well-lived-in place, you start to accrue a lot of stuff, a lot of stuff from vacations and stuff that people have left coming Uh over for a visit and forgetting, Yeah, uh, things you bought once uh, on a vacation and you don't know why you still have it. Uh Religions work the same way. Kind of like the, it's like the game chest at the Airbnb. Yes, exactly. Everything is a little bit shabby. Well, the religion of Christianity has, over the millennia, accrued a lot of relics. Mm. Right, A lot of fingers and toes and locks of hair and all these things from saints and other holy folks. But the one that's both the strangest and perhaps the most important of all is the holy foreskin. Stephen, as you know, Jesus Christ was a Jewish gentleman. Mm-hmm. And like all Jewish gentlemen, he was circumcised eight days after his birth. And that became the holy foreskin. It was extremely important. An actual physical relic from the purported son of God. So, okay, let's understand that the holy prepuce, the holy foreskin, is something of a controversial artifact, as you can imagine. Um, Let me just read you a little piece from what's called the Arabic Infancy Gospel, which is an apocryphal New Testament writing, um, written a little bit after the Quran and possibly 
ripping off the Quran a little bit. And the time of circumcision, that is the eighth day, being at hand, the child was to be circumcised according to the law. Wherefore they circumcised him in the cave, and the old Hebrew woman took the piece of skin, but some say that she took the navel string, and laid it past in a jar of old oil of nard, or spike nard, it's an essential oil. And she had a son, a dealer in unguents, and she gave to him, saying, See that thou do not sell this jar of unguent of nard, even although three hundred denarii should be offered thee for it. And this is that jar which Mary the sinner bought, and poured upon the head and feet of our Lord Jesus Christ which thereafter she wiped with the hair of her head. So that starts the saga of the holy foreskin, Stephen. Huh. So it's Jesus' foreskin that was put into the ointment, and then it was saved and kind of cured in that ointment, and then that ointment was later used back on him? I think that's what they're saying, yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. But as you can imagine, this particular item becomes a real hot commodity in the Christian church. And as time goes on, like many hot properties, a lot of counterfeits show up. And so throughout the medieval period, something like a dozen or as many as 18 holy foreskins show up all over the place, being swapped around from one pope to another person and all over the place. There's something like a dozen towns in France and elsewhere that supposedly have this extremely important prepuce. Um, One of the most important supposedly came from Pope Leo III, and it was given to him by no less than Charlemagne on Christmas Day in the year 800, Stephen. Those are some heavy hitters. Those are some heavy hitters. So that's how you know this story carries some weight. Well, just a little bit of weight, right? Yeah, not so much. Uh, (laughs) Just a small, tiny bit bit of weight. Yeah, go on. That's right. So there's a food and travel writer named David Farley who wrote an entire book about this called An Irreverent Curiosity in Search of the Church's Strangest Relic in Italy's Oddest Town. And he found himself in the Italian town of Calcutta, which is just outside of Rome. And on January 1st, while everybody else is hung over from New Year's, mm-hmm. there was this procession every year for years and years and years, which was the procession of the Holy Foreskin. So all of those different foreskins were floating around through history. One thing leads to another. Most of them vanish in large part because when the Reformation came around, all of them were destroyed All of the alleged ones were destroyed, except for this one that was in Rome, which, again, came to Pope Leo from Charlemagne. And this German soldier took it when the city was being sacked in 1527 and left it in Calcutta, and there it was. And so every year they had this ceremony where they would pull it out, walk around town with it, and revere this thing. As one does. As one does. But then in the year 1900, Pope Leo XIII said... Guys, no more talking about Jesus' foreskin. I know in the past, like, you could go visit the foreskin and get, like, 10 years off of your sentence of sin, um, but we can't talk about it anymore. It's become what's called, quote, an irreverent curiosity. Wait, go back. What do you mean? You visit the foreskin and you get time off of prison? I don't... You kind of glossed over that, man. Sorry. Yeah, that's exactly right. So what happened was the foreskin that was in Calcutta... Uh, for a long time, people thought it was great that it was there, and the church said, not only is it authentic, this is back in the day, um, but also said, if you go there to visit it, if you make a pilgrimage to see the foreskin, you'll get a 10-year indulgence. And an indulgence is just a way of reducing the amount of punishment you get for all of your sins. Okay. So it's like, oh, it's like a bonus. You That's get that much sweet. closer to heaven yeah. just visiting it. Whew. 
So everybody I'd went go there. visit it. Yeah, why not? That's not you go on a road trip. Yeah, go check it out. Check it out. It's not the weirdest thing to go visit. Yeah, but then this stuffy old Leo the Thirteenth, he put an end to it. He put the kibosh on it. He said no more. I gotta tell you, man. I'd rather get a beer with Leo the Third than Leo the Thirteenth. Yeah, a lot I think, happened. I think we all would, right? Yeah. Anyway, so the people of Calcutta were able to continue <laughs> having their procession, even though the church said no more. So it sort of okay. became this outlier, uh, where this one town was celebrating it, but the church as a whole no longer recognized it. But then the town where it's located happens to be suffering from erosion. The residents had to sort of move away to a nearby spot, and the town itself became just a reservoir of hippies and other people who could buy the property for cheap. So then in 1983, a village priest takes the holy foreskin in a shoebox and takes it to his house in the new Calcutta, and then somebody steals it. A few months later, he's out. He's gone to visit somebody in Rome. He comes back. His house has been broken into... His money is still there, Stephen. But the holy prepuce is gone. Or prepuzio. Or prepuzio. Yeah. So people thought a lot of things. They thought maybe Satanists had taken it to do satanic stuff. They thought neo-Nazis, because I guess you always blame a neo-Nazi at a time like this. They even thought the Vatican, wanting to finally put an end to this irreverent curiosity, staged an inside job and snatched it away. Mm-hmm. Whatever the case, ever since then, no one has heard hide nor hair of the holy foreskin, Stephen. Interesting. This is like such a, a weird version of the Da Vinci Code. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Why didn't he start with this one? It's a much more interesting story. This, is, this thing's got legs. Uh, but wait, Stephen, I know you're a fan of theological questions. And here's the main one that revolves around the story of the holy foreskin, which right. is when Christ went to heaven, mm-hmm. did he go intact in a perfect form or did he go in a circumcised form? Circumcised. Theologians have been debating this for a long, long time, Stephen. And we're not going to put it to bed today. No, they got to have more on their hands. Of course, he did. If he was born a Jewish man who would have been circumcised in that, you know, during that time, like everyone else. And then he grew up. He died when he was like 33 or whatever. Mm-hmm. It's not like the foreskin got put back on. So case closed. What? What? What's the debate? <laughs> Asked and answered, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Stephen, your disregard for Christian theologians <laughs> is really showing that. No, I, look, I, I, I'm just saying. Uh-huh. It's, where, what's, okay, what's the argument that he was intact, so to speak? Well, because if he goes to heaven in a perfect way, in other words, yeah. the way that God intended, the way that yeah. God delivered him unto this earth, uh-huh. then he would have had to have his foreskin. If yeah. he didn't have his foreskin, it meant that he was carrying the body that he was wandering around on earth with. And so that doesn't really work because then that's not perfect. That's a you know modified version of it. But we so, just read the part of the book where they said they took it off and there's no part of the book where they said they put it back on. Right. So we are to believe that he like respawned completely. Stephen, all I can say is that in Christianity, as with many religions, mm. some contradictions may exist. Yeah. yeah. I'd say this raises more questions than it answers. That's certainly true. There's a lot there of it is. dangling threads, I suppose. 
Yeah, or, yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> That's mm -hmm. an interesting terminology given yeah. the subject matter. Yeah. I just wanted to share that with you because I wanted you to have a little insight in an obsession that for some reason had been rattling around in my brain for the last few weeks. And yeah. now I've shared it with you and you have to contend with the theological difficulties proposed by the holy prepuce. Yeah, if we go way back, to the beginning of this interesting story. Let's say we were to, if we were to pull back the foreskin of this story oh, and <laughs> go to the beginning, uh -huh. uh, the uh, where this person put um, the item mm -hmm. in that jar of oil, mm -hmm. right? Spike nard. Spike, the spike, spike nard. Spike nard. Yeah, the, and then that oil was used as a, effectively a dermatological treatment you know, that's actually not too far off from the way that uh, foreskins are used in these modern times. I don't know if that's true. I know it's true for a fact. Oh. And I'll tell you all about it. Because oh, okay. uh, when you were telling me about this obsession, um, I thought, you know what? I heard about something like a week ago that like dovetails into this idea perfectly. And that was, uh, so did you know that there is a skin treatment that uses foreskin in uh, in the treatment to uh, promote better kind of skin health radiance, you know, make you look more young, youthful. Oh. I'm talking about literal foreskins mm. being harvested and oh. used for beauty treatments. Are they donated or are this they is, this forcibly is a, This isn't like a metaphor or anything. Oh, okay. This is literal foreskins used in these beauty treatments. And we'll get to that because... Uh, much like the question of Jesus rising to the heavens intact or not, mm -hmm. uh, I too have been left with a question regarding the treatment and technology that I'm about to share with you. Lay it on. Uh, so um, this actually, it, it, this was all up in the news uh, really back in around like 2018, back in those delightful teen years of the century. Uh, and... <laughs> sure. What a rosy glow you cast on. <laughs> no, that's not. not that's just my. That's just the skin that you're seeing without oh, the beard. It is. Yeah, no, yeah, it's right. just me. I'm. I'm just radiant. I yeah, you're glowing new, like a new foreskin. I have a skin treatment that I need to tell you about. But uh, so, uh, Kate Beckinsale, Sandra Bullock, and Kate Blanchett. A lot of women named Kate uh, were really into this treatment that's professionally known uh, in some circles and salons as uh, an epidermal growth factor facial, mm -hmm. also called a penis facial. When you see how good it is to your face, you too will run to your local facialist and say, Put give some... me the penis. <laughs> <laughs> it's gonna happen. <laughs> give me the penis. Yeah. That's what you're gonna say. I'm never gonna say I'm that. <laughs> um, and it's a treatment that uses uh, stem cells from the foreskins of and this is according to the, the articles across the board, uh, circumcised Korean boys. So apparently the reason why <laughs> that this is uh, the mecca, if you will, of um, uh, foreskin harvesting for this treatment. Uh, one article says that in Korea, most boys tend to be circumcised. Um, so uh, their foreskins are, quote, an easy way to access young skin. Uh, and also especially because South Korea is home to so many stem cell banks. They've got a surplus so of foreskins. And the technology and facilities to keep them fresh. 
okay. But it's not clear like yeah. what the pipeline is from Korean baby to skin cream. Like that is not defined readily. So it's essentially stem cell treatment. Once the skin cells are harvested from the foreskins, they're infused into the skin using this micro needling technique. Um, and uh, an article from Vice actually states it pretty well to make you understand what, like in layperson's terms, this technology is all about. So according to the article, putting a baby's foreskin on your face might sound more suited to a satanic ritual, but here's how it works. Kind of like the human flesh version of yogurt, a fibroblast is a piece of skin that is used as a culture to grow other skin or cells, okay? So back in 2013, Oprah uh, promoted a product using this type of of technology for a brand called Skin Medica. I guess the idea about using these foreskin fibroblasts um, is that they are thought to release uh, large amounts of uh, HGH or, you know, basically human growth hormone. Uh, and so that's supposed to stimulate cell regeneration and collagen production and all that stuff, making your skin appear younger, right? Um, why baby foreskins? Well, because the identifying proteins uh, therein uh, haven't fully developed, right? So um, these are actually used in medical settings. Uh, for like uh, growing skin grafts for burn victims um, and they, they help with ulcers, eyelid replacement and all sorts of other things. So do you have any questions at this juncture? Tons, tons. But OK, ask your your most pressing question before I move on. So the foreskin, if I understand mm-hmm. you correctly, is sort of the unsung hero of medical technology. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And when you want new skin, mm-hmm. look no further than the foreskin. Right. Yeah. Right beneath your eyes mm-hmm. if you're a pediatrician. Like, because, you know, it's just, it's this fountain of life. It's a wellspring of life and regenerative skin growth. Um, here's an image. So according to an article this year, actually, in Discover, just one newborn sample contains uh, roughly 100,000 fibroblasts, um, according to Thomas Ichim, who's an immunologist and chief scientific officer at the regenerative medicine company Fibrogenesis. Um, So I want you to close your eyes and I want you to picture one small square of foreskin, okay? Gotcha, doing it. Mm -hmm. Okay, Uh, those fibroblasts can be multiplied to cover several football fields. While people are playing on them? Of, of pink diaphanous foreskin. Yeah. Kind of stretches right over. The players? Like you're, like, like you're stretching, uh, you know, skin over a drum. And they can still play. Oh, yeah. Some of their best work. Yeah. Oh, yeah. They can play. American sports continue to be a mystery to me. Yeah, they leave it all on the field, man. Uh <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so yeah, uh, but I guess these uh, Discover article was interested in it because sure, yeah, yeah, yeah. There's all this like weird celebrity Hollywood like facial stuff that can be used um, with the foreskin, but um, the uh, possibilities are pretty interesting um, in terms of how far this technology can go. So um, human foreskin fibroblasts or HFFs, um, they're useful for all sorts of things like wound therapy diabetic foot ulcers, damaged eyelids. They can repair webbed fingers and toes. Um, 
They've aided in treatments for parasitic infections because they can serve as a model for infection and testing. They have also converted HFFs into cell types, including uh, liver cells, muscle cells, uh, and even neurons. So that's all fine and good, but I'm sure uh, you have one more question. And let me actually assume what that's going to be. How did the Christians know the foreskin was so <laughs> powerful? That's for God to know. But gotcha. I, I'm sure what you really wanted to ask is whether or not this really works for skincare. Oh, sure. Yeah. yeah. So uh, according to a dermatologist and lecturer uh, at the University of Sydney, Dr. Deshaun Sebaratnam, probably not. Uh, she tells Vice. I am highly skeptical. Uh, I have not seen any evidence in a peer-reviewed medical publication supportive of this claim. So it's, you know, it seems like it's definitely, again, a powerful bit of biotechnology, but whether or not it's really making folks' skin, you know, demonstrably or quantifiably better uh, remains to be seen. So the foreskin has not been yet revealed as a true source of immortality that we're all chasing. Not, not yet. However, it is revered by the other immortals of our time, and those are celebrities. That's a good point. That Kate Blanchett, she's in everything. You can't watch a freaking movie this year without Kate Blanchett. She looks terrific. And you know why? I mean, presumably yeah. the foreskins. Uh, presumably. Or, or <laughs> another faddish technology that we heard a lot about a few years ago and that weirdly uh, drained away subsequently. Do you remember, oh. Stephen, when everybody was talking about young blood? Woo! Give me that blood. <laughs> <laughs> that's, not, that's a non-committal answer, Stephen. Uh, blood, yeah. Um, there were a flurry of stories. Did you did you use the word drain going in there too? Yeah. That was nice. Thank you. That was, art, that was artfully done. Thank you. Yeah, back in... Uh, 2016 or so, there were just a flurry of stories about how tech billionaires were suddenly obsessed with the blood of young people and getting these transfusions as a way of improving their health, prolonging their lives. And so young blood was this thing that everybody was talking about, particularly Peter Thiel, who is himself sort of a Marvel villain. He was one of the early <laughs> investors in PayPal. Yep. He now runs a company called Palantir, which is like a data analytics firm that works with law enforcement and the military. And yes. you know, when you worry about governments doing things with your data, Palantir is one of those that should sort of make you yeah. question things. So yes, a few years ago, uh, a number of startups bloomed uh, that promised to rejuvenate you by filling your veins with blood from mm -hmm. young people, um, which supposedly would slow aging. Like, so what's young? Like, how young do you have to be to have young blood? How young is a young blood? Well, um, this company Ambrosia, which was real hot in the biz for a minute, um, had about 150 patients at one point, ranging in age from 35 to 92. Okay, that's the patients. Mm-hmm. Now, the trial itself involved giving these patients one and a half liters of plasma from a donor between the ages of 16 and 25. Okay. Yeah. That's a, that's like a funny gap. If you were like, hey, I'm 35, <laughs> you're just getting blood from a dude who's like 10 years younger than you. That's right. Well, I think if you read between the lines on that one, you'll hear those are 
tech bros, you know. Those are somebody oh, yeah. those are guys cuz these these treatments cost somewhere around $285,000 and then others I think are like $8,000 a shot. Yeah. And so this is all tied in with the whole, you know, microdosing and oh, yeah. total optimization. Hack, hacking the body, hacking the brain, biohacking. So the goal here not only is to be awesome right now with mm-hmm. the blood of young people, but also to live longer, live better, be stronger, mm-hmm. be healthier. But then at some point, Stephen, yeah. at some point, no matter how much money you've made from startups involving harvesting the foreskins of Korean boys, for example, you may die. So in that case, the tech giants have another option, which is an old chestnut, an old standby, cryonics. Ah. Freezing your body, freezing your brain. There's a company called Alcor Life Extension Foundation. They'll freeze you $80,000 for the brain and 200000 for the whole shooting match. Wow. Yeah. And then there's another sort of technology that's favored among the tech elites that leans more towards digital, and that's where you scan your brain. There's a company that rolled out called Nectome, which would charge you $10,000 to preserve your brain by using essentially an embalming process okay. that would then allow your brain to be perfectly preserved so that at some future date, scientists in UFOs with giant heads would be able to actually scan the entirety of your brain and then reproduce it. And presumably by reproducing your brain, your personality in some way is transmogrified into this new future form where you get to wear cool silver cat suits and slink around. (laughs) Which, of course, raises the question that has been bouncing around philosophy circles forever. If you clone your brain is that person still somehow you? If you can perfectly replicate your brain at a particular moment in time, when that brain gets fired up, are you the you that I know looking out through those eyes? Or is it just some other jackass? Yeah. Do humans have a soul, right? Like if you're able to fully replicate all of your physical uh, architecture and like have that electric spark that's making your brain and your heart and all that stuff work, and you're walking around, but it's 200 years later... Will the memories that you have in that body, like, remember the stuff that happened before your brain was scanned and you, like, technically died? That's right. You know. Um, and will it, it be it, you? Yeah, it will be me. And I, and I think this reminds me of another thing that you've brought up before, which is the spaceship analogy. The ship of Theseus. Yes. Okay. One of my favorite thought experiments. Just tell me it again. The ship of Theseus says... A guy named Theseus took his boat out to sail around for years and years and years, go on adventures and stuff. Well, over time, that ship wore down a little bit. Every now and again, he'd have to replace something. Replace a board here, replace a sail there, replace the lady on the front. Eventually, he's replaced every part of the ship. So the question is, is that ship that returns home after years of sailing, is that the same ship? Yeah. Maybe the reason why I was reminded of this is because it it has to do with all this shit we're talking about today, right? The idea of taking blood from another person and putting it into your body. So again, that you may exist as the same person for, you know, X amount of years more than the common man. Like all of this stuff about like hacking the body and it all skirts around the issue of who are we? And how do we see ourselves? And like, what is the what is the soul? What is our identity, right? And, and this Theseus ship thing, 
is exactly what's happening with the human body. Like all of our cells are, you know, regenerating and dying and we're con the, the same physical body that you live in has is much different than it was even a month ago, right? And I guess to that point, we kind of I guess we I would say we have a soul, I guess. I don't know. Hmm. To me, it sounds like you're having a bit of an existential crisis, not because you have a child on the way, but because yeah. you shaved your beard. I did. Who are you now? Man, I'm just a guy not trying to look like a jackass in a bunch of pictures at my wife's baby shower. That's who I am. That's the beginning of identity. You know what I appreciate about you, Stephen? Tell me. You're not the sort of person who's developing fringy technologies and trying to pass them off on the public and make a bunch of money. <laughs> because a lot of these technologies that we have heretofore spoken today went on to be more or less disproved. The young blood thing kind of fizzled out because the FDA said there were no proven benefits from it. The cryonics thing continues on because the future hasn't gotten here yet, so people just continue to be frozen in vats. The scanned brains thing, which the company there, Nectome, got more than $915,000 in funding from the U.S. National Institutes of Mental Health. Everybody was hot on that for a second, thought there was a lot of promise to the idea of preserving your brain, and then at some point scanning it, and then uploading it to the metaverse brought to you by the Pepsi of the future. MIT said, that sounds like BS, and the MIT Media Lab severed their connection to Nectome. And a scientist at the Karolinska Institute in Sweden said, it is so unethical. I can't describe how unethical it is. <laughs> Neuroscience has not sufficiently advanced to the point where we know whether any brain preservation method is powerful enough to preserve all the different kinds of biomolecules related to memory and the mind. So just throwing the thing in the freezer and then pulling it out when you're ready to scan it, you may not be bringing yourself along with you, Stephen. Yeah, but those guys are printing money, man. That's right. There is gobs of investment. And then Peter Thiel, mm -hmm. you know, who yeah. wants to live forever so he can sue the gawker of the future. Yeah. He continues on. He's put millions into anti-aging research, including a place called the Methuselah Foundation, which is a nonprofit that says it'll make... 90, the new 50 by 2030. Yeah. Uh-huh. I was just about to ask what the marketing for all this stuff sounds like, and my uh, question was answered, actually. Mm -hmm. It sounds awful, um, but I guess a positive thing here is, and this is according to that Discover Magazine article, is that while the skin care, you know, properties of the human foreskin may be you know, not be all they're cracked up to be. Uh, it does sound like a lot of really good uh, medical breakthroughs can happen in our, or have already happened and are poised to happen into the future using um, these cells. So, you know, that's pretty cool. And it's not all bunk. You're right that there is a lot of insight that comes from this kind of research. And there are some promising technologies that are emerging that are related to life extension and also, more importantly, quality of life. So yeah. if you just add 50 years to someone's life, but they're progressively more decrepit, then it doesn't really do you any good. So the goal is to live longer, but also to live better. And lest you walk away from this thinking all of this is a big scam and a shell game. Uh, in fact, only most of it probably is. But yeah. Just this spring, a new institute is coming online at Cambridge with labs in San Francisco and San Diego. 
funded by this outfit called Altos Labs, which has the distinction of being one of the most funded startups in history. It's got something like uh, $3 billion in investment. Ooh. Yeah. And so their project is to reprogram cells. So similar to the stem cell thing, the idea is you can take cells, monkey with them, and turn the clock back on what they are so that you can turn them into different kinds of cells altogether. There has been some research into mice. They had older skin. They reprogrammed the cells, and they found that it became youthful by, according to a story, the cells behaving as if they were 25 years younger. But, like, okay, there's a lot of people. We have too many people, too, right? Aren't we, aren't we at the same time we're developing this, like, worried that we're not going to have enough resources, like, as a planet to sustain the exponentially growing population of human beings? So, like, what's going to happen if we get more and more people, but those people now are not even dying? Well, one thing to think about is this. A lot of this research is looking into particularly improving quality of life by reversing conditions like Alzheimer's and dementia. Oh, yeah. So you have people, if they're living longer, they could be productive longer. Yeah. So they're not also just burdens of family, burdens of the state, totally. all that kind of stuff. Right. So does this also mean that like the retirement age is ultimately going to be 80? Yeah, of course it is. So yeah, this you is know. America, Stephen. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We were so we were so close to ending on a positive note. You see that? Not this time, Stephen. Not not today, foreskin. That's right. <laughs> Stephen, I feel like we've covered a historical moment end to yeah. end and taken our little snip of it and really yeah. unrolled it. We took that little snippet and we put it in a jar of ointment. <laughs> Steven, this has been Journos. It has. I'll see you next time. Hello. Hello, Brandon. Oh, Stephen, how are you? I'm in Santa Monica, but you mm-hmm. are. Oh, me, Fort Lauderdale, Florida, about to yeah. cruise the Caribbean. I called you with some bad news. <sighs> All right. What's okay. Remember this episode we literally just did just yeah. now? Yeah. Uh-huh. Remember you were saying like prepus or prepuce? Mm-hmm. Well, that's wrong. It, it's pronounced prepuce. Prepuce. Yeah. <sighs> yeah, we definitely didn't have that consistently, did we? Nah. So um, enjoy your vacation. Well, I don't see how I can now. Thanks. <laughs> Journos is produced by Heather Eagle Ears Wilson. And the music for this episode was provided by Nathan Wigglyfingers Reedy. Reedy.